Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode. We have Chrissy Powers. Chrissy Powers is a therapist, podcast host, and writer. She works in San Diego, California, and loves helping others find their authentic self. She has created two courses, uses her online platform to connect with others, and coaches people in their lives and businesses around the world. Today, we're diving right into the deep end of trauma. Her story with trauma, her experiences with the impacts it has on the body, and really the misconception about what trauma is and what trauma is not, and how to tell the difference, even when some traumas are smaller. Doesn't mean they're any less important and impact us anymore than the quote unquote bigger traumas. So let's get right into this week's episode. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to this week's episode. If you've listened to the Dude Therapist or you follow me on social media, you know that I say this very interesting thing if you're not a therapist is I love trauma. I love trauma work. I think that it's in a lot of us because we've all been through something and there's research and there's books. You got Bessel van der Kolk. You got Dr. Bruce Perry, but you also got Chrissy Powers who's making a huge difference in the world and really enlightening so many, helping so many with the idea of how trauma truly impacts us and how we move forward with how we deal with it impacts on our body, our minds, our souls, all those wonderful things that really impact us every day. So Chrissy, can you introduce yourself to the listeners so we can get right into this amazing conversation? Yeah. Thank you so much for that awesome introduction. I I'm Christy Powers. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in San Diego, California. Uh, I see people online um, and in person in Encinitas um, in my office. And I love seeing clients online from all over um, doing coaching work. Um, I'm also on Instagram and I love sharing about mental wellness and motherhood. It's a weird story of how that worked out, but I kind of fell into mommy blogging when my oldest was a baby. And um, since has, you know, just really been able to be real online um, and trying to be as authentic as I am as a therapist and a mother. So um, that's kind of my story online. And it's been fun. I've just been figuring it out as I go. Um, I've dabbled in podcasting as well. I have a podcast called Sure Babe, but recently took a year off because of, uh, you know, COVID and pandemic parenting and all that stuff. But um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. So basically everything. And, and uh, you're, you're, you're doing a great job. I, I, I see your stuff being reshared so often and, and your things. You. And when I like get to your account and like look more and more at all the, not just the, the great look of it, but the content itself, it's so based in authenticity, vulnerability, and realness. And I think there's such a huge misconception about mental health professionals needing to be this cold hearted, removed person from life. And that I think the modern therapist, which I hope I consider myself and doing a good job, the best that I can is to be more vulnerable and real. It doesn't mean that now all my people know everything about me, but it means a smart way of doing it to people feel normalized and seen. How do you, with all the things that you just said, the mom, the blog, you also do a lot of traveling stuff and all those things that you're into. How do you balance everything? And maybe where's the source of that passion that kind of got you into all that stuff? That's a good question. Um, I definitely balance it with my partner, my husband, Sam, who is just as invested in our kids as I am and mental wellness as well. 
Um, so that definitely helps. Um, and then there are times where I don't feel balanced and I'm like, okay, I need to pull back and I need to like slow down. So I think it's just recognizing when you're not balanced, that kind of helps. Um, but gonna, my passion I'm gonna use that one, we're going to use that word later. We're going to get back yeah. to that. <laughs> There's really no balance. It's just noticing when you're not balanced <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, okay. I've put too many things on the calendar or I'm, you know, I had too many expectations for this month or things like that. Um, which is normally my case, uh, since I have ADD. So <laughs> me too. I knew we were twins. I knew it. Yeah. It's a gift. It's a superpower. But as my therapist says, the only person that doesn't benefit from your ADD is your husband. And I was like, that's true. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> so, Don't tell anyone the secret. I know. Um, so yeah, it's just, just learning my, uh, my balance and then obviously sensing my family's uh, need for calm and things like that. But um, my passion definitely comes from, I tell my husband all the time, I feel like my goal in life or my reason for living was to just have the most fun that I can have on this earth. <laughs> I feel like I have one life. I want to have so much fun. Does that come with pain? Yeah. Like there's, pain and fun, you know, there's, there's joy and sorrow. It's, it's all mixed together. And so, um, feeling both of those things and struggling with mental illness at a young age, usually I was like in high school that I kind of felt like I was struggling with depression and my dad was very open about that, but he struggled with it. So I was very aware of it and it was normalized at an early age for me. And it became a passion of mine as I, um, kind of wrestled with my own journey. And I thought, wow, what a great job to be able to sit with people in their pain and help them figure out things for themselves of how to live a better life. And I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not um, smart enough for that. I'm not well enough for that. And then I realized like the best therapists um, that I ever had were the ones that had gone through something similar or had gone through the hard times as well. So um, oh that's my god, like Chrissy, you're passion. you're getting me riled up right now. That is everything I believe in as a human being, as a therapist. And you know, right now I have an actual opportunity, and I'm pulling up a quote right now that I, I actually posted about today that I want to want to say real quick. But I'm, I'm currently working as a supervisor for interns in school, new therapists coming up, and it's a passion of mine to educate and to be a prof a clinical professor. Hopefully, get tenure and never have to think about my life ever again. But I'm currently educating my intern on this worry. I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't know everything. Mm. I don't, and all the worries and anxieties that come with dealing with human beings. And the biggest thing that I keep reinforcing is your goal in as a therapist is to be human in the room. And you might read articles over the course of your career. You might read books. You might gain experiences of the different clients that you end up working with and honing your, your skills and your abilities yeah. to read more and to listen more and to understand more and to advise or describe or talk about things. But you're a human first. You've got to stop yeah. with all the anxiety of the other things because it's going to yep. stop you from being a human. And um, I want to just quote this, of course, you know, when it comes to anything, you know, shame and, 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 and courage, we got to go to the, the, uh, the goddess Brene Brown. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah. she says that the courage to be vulnerable is not about winning or losing. It's about the courage to show up when you can't predict or control the outcome. 
And to yeah. me, that's what you just described. Like you want to live yeah. your life and there's sorrow and pain in that. And from, from the experiences that you've had, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to kind of psychoanalyze and get into a therapy session with you. Cause I want to talk about the, the knowledge and content that you have to, to help others. But can you give a little background, a little bit about your journey with trauma of taking mm-hmm. that courageous thing of the unknown, which to me was triggered by you saying that balance and alignment that can get thrown off with trauma. So can you start yeah. this conversation with trauma a little bit about maybe your story and what trauma is, and then we'll get into mm-hmm. the other more important questions as well about how to work through that stuff and how it impacts us. Yes, I would love to. And I will totally take that session. If you want to psychoanalyze me, I'm all for it. Off camera. We'll do that another time. I promise for free. <laughs> now you're part of the dude therapist family. You get free services, whether you like it or not. Amazing. Um, okay. So first went to therapy in college when I'm struggling with an eating disorder and obsessive thoughts about food. Um, and that was my first taste of what it was like to have someone sit with me in my anxiety and stress and normalize things for me, or kind of show me patterns of behavior um, and maybe reasons why I did the things or thought the way that I did. Um, and that was great, but it wasn't until I, I, I say this, I've had many therapists, all of them have helped me differently at different stages of my life. Um, and so it wasn't until I became a mom that my stress and my anxiety peaked. Um, and I had a traumatic incident happen, uh, with my oldest, he was two at the time and we were at a church, um, the church I grew up in actually, it was a small little church and my parents were in this like prayer meeting and I was, um, you know, picking him up from the nursery and he ran away from me and he was very fast at like two years old. My kids are like, I always say ninjas. And so I was just, you know, right after him running. Um, and he turned this corner and then I turned the corner and I couldn't find him. So I thought, Oh wow, he was really fast. So then I thought, Oh no, he must've ran to the parking lot. So then I ran to the parking lot to look and I couldn't find him. So then I ran to the other parking lot and then I started to panic. Cause it's like, okay, I can't find my kids. It's been like a minute now. Like and I'm running around looking for him. Where could he have gone? Um, so then, you know, like maybe a couple more minutes went by five minutes and then I, you know, had to get my parents to come look and help me um, find him. And so then by that time, everybody that was left over at the church from the service was um, looking for him. They didn't know him. Um, because we're visiting. Um, but you know, I gave a description. And so then this mom, I, I froze in that moment because I already went to the worst fear of like, what if he was hit by a car or something like that? And so then she ran out to the street to ask these boys that were playing out there if they'd seen this little boy, you know, blonde hair, whatever. And they said um they saw a man take him. And so she came running back to me. I was already frozen in fear. And she was hysterical, this woman. And so it was the worst case of mistaken identity. Um, She said, screaming, they saw a man pick him up and take him. And in that moment, I, my world stopped. Like it felt like the floor beneath me fell out. There was another mom next to me holding me. um, And I was wailing. I became like the most primal woman I've ever been before. And the amount of fear and pain in that moment um, it, I wanted to die. Like, I felt like it was the worst thing I could ever imagine thinking that someone took my son 
And so I lived like that for about um, maybe two to five minutes. I don't even remember. It felt like forever until, um, so we called 911 and I knew they were like dispatching the helicopter to go look for him within five minutes. And then um, someone saw his feet behind a copy room door. He had ran around that first corner and ran into this copy room and shut the door like a ninja and was just standing there quietly. And my mom, I just remember my mom saying, Christy, we found him. He's in this copy room. You know, we got the door. Oh, it locked behind him. So they had to go get the key to unlock it. And I couldn't stand. I just crawled and I just held him and cried. And I remember the weird feeling after of like, I found my son. It wasn't the worst case scenario, but yet I'm a changed woman. Like I, I couldn't eat. I, you know, it was almost like you do what you're supposed to do. You laugh it off or you say, oh my gosh, we're going to laugh at this someday. And, um, I still don't laugh at it, (laughs) but, um, I, in that moment, that was a very traumatic moment. And even though I got my son back, it wasn't till two years after that, that I was so frozen in fear. I say, I say that I felt like I was a soldier every day, just white knuckling life, like ready for the other shoe to drop or the bomb to fall because I was always fearing the worst thing. And that fear morphed into a fear of flying a fear of like parks, a fear of just never not knowing where my kid was at all Mm -hmm. times and trusting other people. I couldn't even trust my husband to take them. I would text him like every five minutes, like, where are you? How's it going? And he was, you know, I couldn't trust. And, um, it wasn't until those two years after that I realized I, I think I have PTSD from that moment. And so I started my healing journey of, you know, going obviously back to talk therapy, but I did other things as well. I went to like a healing center um, called Gold Monarch. Um, and it, then I I found in therapy, I thought I went in, I'm like, this is my trauma, this moment. And she said, yeah, that's pretty traumatic. But your trauma isn't from that moment. It's not just that. Your anxiety isn't just from that. And I was like, really? And then we got talking way more but more about my upbringing and my childhood. And it was wonderful. My parents did a great job. But the environment I grew up in was very um, high-performing. Um, you know, everybody looked at me and my family as perfect because we were, I was a pastor's daughter. And I had internalized a lot of those messages as like, if I can't be bad, I have to be perfect. And so I played into that role so well. Like I was, I wasn't perfect. Like my parents would probably tell you I was probably the most challenging of their children because I was outspoken, but I played into an archetypal role that isn't necessarily me 100%. Mm -hmm. And so I know my trauma came way before that event. Like there are traumas like that in life but I feel like the first time I ever really separated myself from myself was in childhood when I felt like I need to please these people or this church or, um, yeah, this school, this teacher, like I need to be perfect. And if I'm not, then I'm worthless or without love. And so, and, and no one told me that it was just my experience. And so I learned through my work with my therapist and then uh, um, going back and doing some movement work called nonlinear movement, which I got trained in by Michaela Boehm. Um, 
she was actually on the Netflix show Unwell, um, talking about tantric uh, yoga, I think. I can't remember, but she trains people in nonlinear movement. And it was the last thing I ever thought I would do. (laughs) It's so like this good little Christian girl that was just like perfect, you know, not too sexy, not too, you know, just, you know, I go and do this like far out there, woo woo nonlinear movement training because it was the last piece to the puzzle for me to realize I can talk about my trauma all day long. But unless I'm moving it out and feeling it in my body, nothing, that last piece stays. And so I started doing nonlinear movement as a way to release the trauma from my body. And that's when things really started to shift for me. I got to tell you that story, um, my heart is pounding and my chest is extremely tight from that story as a, as a, as a father, when yeah. you, when the, the mother comes back to tell you, you know, your son was taken I I couldn't, I I started feeling very numb and panicky because Mm -hmm. I connect with that fear, even though that has never happened to me and I hope never happens to me is something, the biggest fear of most parents is something bad happening to your children. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that was like, to me, when we're talking about this body response, I'm feeling that from a story, all the more so someone who experienced it. And it's interesting that you're talking about this because I think every parent has had that fear come across their their mind or their body, whether it's at a park, whether it's at a supermarket, whether it's at a shopping center where the kid runs away and hides and you have to, you know, I have ADHD and I used to run and hide from my parents all the time, not out of like running away from them, out of like playing. I would like mm-hmm. hide in, in like a rack of clothes or like, and they, I was o- always ending up at like the, the, the security guard's office, like, you know, like... <laughs> They would find me like, because I would, I knew, I knew if I lost, I got lost, I would go there. Um, but when, you know, you talk to your therapist, that to me is an obvious thing. That's traumatic mm-hmm. PTSD. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And for someone who hasn't been trained, who isn't someone who specializes in trauma to go, oh, but that's not trauma. The other thing that's just, that's called being raised. That's called being a child. That's called being growing up in a household where you have expectations. So can you talk about then what trauma is? Because the two things are so different in what people might perceive as traumatic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think trauma is two things. A, trauma A and trauma B. Trauma A is things that never should have happened to you, like car accidents, abuse, you know, what I went through, kid being kidnapped, Um, hypothetically, even for five minutes. Um, uh, that's trauma A never should happen to you trauma B are things that you should have gotten but you never did so maybe it's understanding or attunement from a caregiver maybe it's the ability to make a mistake and know that you're still loved and that you wouldn't be outcasted Um, so for me it was that it was you know just knowing I can make a mistake I would still be loved I would still go to heaven I would still, you know, and I just, I, I felt mm. like even my eternal life was connected to making mistakes. So that re- that religious piece, as an Orthodox Jew, um, I remember vividly, uh, I was in camp, Jewish summer camp, between eighth grade and ninth grade, and that summer, the rabbi who was overseeing my the bunks, the few bunks my age, gave us a whole talk about hell. 
And I could not sleep for, I remember this vividly, like three days. That idea, because in the research, it shows, you know, the if we're talking Bessel van der Kolk here, the big T, little T kind of concept, like the big T traumas are, you know, that idea of, um, what, what would we call it? Um, the big T traumas would be like the, the 9-11, a kid, like the big, big things that should never happen. So realistically, all these things that we talk about trauma, whether it's religious trauma, we think of it in this big, scary thing, but the smaller things really create this sense of this internal, maybe destruction, devastation, little by little by little, be creating a bigger monster. Has that been your experience? Is that what you've seen? Because people might not assume that and think, oh, you're just being too sensitive. Yep. I think you said that perfectly. Um, that was my kind of aha moment in therapy um, was that it wasn't just this one incident. It was little incidences and big incidences and little incidences that I thought were little, but really were big for me as like my personality type. Um, so it was, it's a mixture of it all. And when I piece it together, like I imagine it like a puzzle and I'm like, Oh yeah, there's a missing piece. Oh yeah. That one fits right there. Okay. And it's like this, I hate to say it, but it feels like a beautiful puzzle piece after and this is why Gabor Mate says trauma resolved is a gift mm-hmm. because when you resolve it and you look at like, that's why I do the things that I do, or that's why, uh, and you honor it, it becomes something beautiful when you are no longer living with it, like driving your bus, you know? Ooh, Ooh, I love that. So I want to talk about the idea of how it impacts your mind and, your, but really I want to talk about how it impacts your body. Because you did this whole tantric movement, there's a, 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 a therapeutic process called psychodrama as well that's very body-esque. I recently interviewed and talked to someone, I never heard about that before, recently spoke to someone who does that, to help become more balanced and aligned. So can you imp- talk about how trauma can impact the body a little bit, what that actually does to us and why it can be unhealthy and destructive, and maybe for the listeners who are not experts like yourself or people who are involved in this world, who are trained maybe learn some skills and practical things to be in tune with that and then go forward. Yeah. Um, So the authority on this, I would definitely refer out to Gabor Mate, just YouTube him. He has a whole video on um, our speech that he did on why we get sick. And he talks about how trauma, um, you know, like African-American women are the highest population of people like asthma. And in the recent years that has skyrocketed, there's a reason for that because racism is trauma. Like everything that we encounter in our life that's traumatic for us changes our body, right? Our, our molecular, like the cortisol levels that get shot through your body when you go into fight or flight, things like that um, change, part, change your DNA. I truly believe that. Um, yeah, it's wild if you want to go into epigenetics and learn more about like parrot trauma that's just fascinating to me but um I since I lived it I felt like yeah in that moment I felt a huge change in my body um because of the amount of stress chemicals that shot through my body and then when you realize like all those little traumas too there were moments where you have that like you know fight or flight mode or freeze or um I also think that trauma 
in essence is when we just separate from ourselves, our true self, and we deny it, or we say, I shouldn't be that. Um, that for me in was true in childhood. And that's like one of the pieces that I put together in my puzzle was like, oh my gosh, so many moments I felt shame over, you know, my desires or, you know, wanting to speak in a church that didn't allow women to speak. Mm-hmm. And I felt shame over that because I thought, well, then I must not be that type of woman, that Proverbs 3130 woman. I must not be that because I have this strong desire to, to be seen and to speak. And uh, that wasn't allowed. So I internalized that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to use another specialist that I love. I love Gabor Mate, huge fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dr. David Burns wrote two books, uh, Feel Good Therapy and When Panic Attacks. And I use this metaphor so often that he brings out in his book when it comes to trauma and, and anxiety and panic. He says, if, if, uh, if back when I was a teenage boy, if I was asked to clean my room, I would take everything, all the stinky, smelly clothes and shove it in a closet and hope that no one opens it. Um, and the more that we don't process our emotions, and he's not, he's not in the cognition, he's more in the emotionized side of things. Things that are not processed, dealt with, worked through, put out in the open, uh, understood, it becomes this smelly, disgusting laundry that you shove in that closet until one day something like, I don't know where my child is opens up the closet that floods your brain from all the little things that have been put away hidden. It's like the under the carpet kind of dirt that you hide and you're not actively trying to hide it. It's just the way you're surviving and something that I love that you're bringing out, but I have a caveat that scares me about it is how people use the word trauma too much about things that are smaller, that are not really traumatic, which takes away from the legitimate smaller things like you're talking about that actually are. So how do we gain perspective on those things to actually use the word when it's meant and to not minimize the smaller things that actually are traumatic? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think for one, accepting that everybody has trauma because, you know, just, speaking about it and talking to people about it, they, Oh, I don't have trauma. You know, my, my parents just divorced. No one died. I'm like, wow, you don't think that's traumatic. Um, so everybody has trauma, especially after living through a pandemic that was hugely traumatic for every single person. So no one can now say that we have not struggled with trauma, but knowing the nuances of what stress is or what, you know, stress is stress. We have to learn to cope with that, but anything that really questions your internal knowings, I think that's when it becomes more traumatic. If it's like my internal knowing believes that women should be represented equally as men are. But there were things outside of myself culturally that told me, no, that's not true. Mm -hmm. But my internal knowing said it was right. I should have listened to that, but I was told, no, Mm -hmm. you can't listen to that. So that's when I know like, okay, something was, that's a trauma. I really wasn't listening to myself. I wasn't paying attention to myself. And we can then get into behaviors and patterns of betrayal, self-betrayal, because we learn to look for someone, someone outside of ourselves to tell us that we're good. Someone outside of ourselves to say, you know, even in our relationships, like, you know, looking to please them 
instead of knowing internally, like I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. And, and I love, I love that idea because I hope not to hurt anyone's feelings. If you're on trade, you're going to Trader Joe's and the things that you want are not there. That's not drama, right? That's not, that's not trauma. (laughs) That's frustrating, right? If you are driving and, uh, you were nowhere near an accident, but could have been an accident. That's scary. Not traumatic. Right. And, and, or, uh, you tripped and caught yourself before doing any, that was traumatic. No, it wasn't traumatic, right? We have to be very careful. And I think that your distinction that you said in the beginning was so powerful that I don't think I've heard, maybe I haven't read the right things or haven't experienced certain things, but the idea of the B, trauma B being things Mm -hmm. that were lacking and kind of are not the full puzzle piece. So the question I have is, does anyone have that puzzle full? No. Right. So that, right. That's what we're getting at is that we all have some pieces that are missing all some things that maybe weren't there or could have been there, should have been there. All those words. How do we Mm -hmm. not become resentful to that idea that the puzzle has, will net will did not, or was not filled Mm. based on our past. I believe that you don't become resentful when you're on the journey of healing. So when you're on the journey of healing, it's beautiful and you find community and you look at your humanity differently. And then you look at other people differently. And then you realize, Oh my gosh, I would have never seen that person before. I would have never looked at that homeless person and seen their trauma. I would have just looked at a homeless person, you know, or I'm not even have looked at them. So like Mm -hmm. just seeing the beauty of being on the journey makes you for me, at least, it's like opened my eyes and made me a more empathic person. And I'm grateful for that. So gratitude and being on this journey together and not burying your head in the sand and become frustrated by the things that cause our stress and our trauma. I think that's for me, the answer. No, I love that. And, and then I want to touch on a few more things because I I love your, your ideas and and you're just your calmness of everything is very nice um is well what about the people in the lives of the of in the lives of those who are struggling with trauma like your husband right mm-hmm. your partner who is like that that texting that overwhelming texting like how do you deal with that as the other person trying to embrace who has gone through maybe something as well maybe not and trying to support but is struggling suffering yet being support like how do you balance that any advice for people who are on uh, within that circle of the other person who might be going through some traumatic event or has been through trauma Mm. um i think it depends on the relationship so um be careful who you share that with um because not everybody is safe uh and not everybody will understand you and when someone denies your trauma or invalidates you it's very painful um I remember one time a family member said after I lost my son and then we went to Disneyland (laughs) when he was like a year later and he kind of ran away from us again there and totally triggered me again. Uh, And it was horrifying for me, even though it's like, yeah, he just, you know, it's a funny story now, but the family member said, Oh, how does that happen twice? And I was like, gutted. I was like, how dare you mock my trauma. And so for me, it was like, yeah, be careful who you share that with. Not everybody's safe. Um, 
And then when they are a safe person, when you can listen and you find your tribe and you find your community, um, do the work with them, hold the space with them. Um, and then know when you need boundaries. Mm. There are beautiful boundaries that I set with my friends and my husband and he with me, um, over, you know, Hey, that's something that you need to take to your therapist. I can't help you with that. Like, or that's, you know, make triggering me. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of work can be done in relationships and community that, um, creates healing for ourselves and our friends and relationships. So hopefully I answered that. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. Whether you did or not, it doesn't matter. It was great. You did. <laughs> you very much did. And, and and often when I do, I do couples work, I, I specialize in relationships. And when there's trauma within the past, which usually is, but specifically connected to how it, how it manifests within a relationship, a lot of times it, it's my job to explain constantly to the other partner what and how it impacts someone because mm. the assumption like i said before that people think is oh well it's not 911 it's not covid it's not mm. it's not a suicide attack it's not something crazy that that or war your mother didn't say that she loved you or mm. you know um your father you had this weird connection with your father that and now you want that from me like that's not trauma and i think it's this very big awareness that needs to be created on what it actually means, how it can impact someone. Mm -hmm. And maybe your trauma has was not as aggressive or intense or as bad as your partner, but it doesn't mean it's not real. Oh yeah. And even, I mean, just knowing this trauma, isn't what happened to you. It's what happens inside of you as a result of what happened to you. Yes. So you can have like the per most perfect looking family and childhood but if you didn't get your needs met and you didn't feel seen, then that could be very traumatic for that person. Yeah. So holding that space and listening, you know, as we do as therapists, I mean, that's what we need to do in our relationships, like yeah. with the people around us. Yeah. With no judgment, no attack. Don't be on the defense. Listen and be empathetic. Uh, mm -hmm. The last question I really have to talk about that, that, that dan tantric dancing or the psychodrama People mm -hmm. might think, you know, if you watch Dancing with the Stars or whatever dance competition or show, oh, it's so fun. Dancing's great. What did you do that's different? Can you kind of give an understanding of how movement and trauma in the body actually helps? Yes. So if you have ever seen the Discovery Channel and you see the Impala running from the tiger or panther or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's like down on the ground. And you think it's gone. You think that the poor Impala has died, but then something distracts the you know predator and the predator runs off. And then you'll see the Impala or the gazelle just sitting there, but you know, they're breathing. You can YouTube this and um, that's called immobilization. And so I, I, I explain it as the gas and the brake are on at the same time. So the amount of energy rubbing through your body at that time that you're traumatized is in your body and then the animal will shake and then he'll run off and animals don't get traumatized they don't get ptsd they go back to grazing in the fields the next day or the next moment and so that for me was the missing piece i i i now when i'm in yes the shake so and you can even read this in peter levine's book uh waking the tiger he talks about how he was hit by a car and he's this trauma you know researcher and he knew to tell the paramedics 
do not sedate me or hold me down. Allow my body to shake, you know, to, you know, obviously not to re-injure himself or anything, but he knew to allow his body to shake. If you're a woman listening and you've had a baby and you've gone through labor, you will know your body shakes as you're going through labor. It's just part of our mechanism, but we get oftentimes scared of our bodies when they do that, or we suppress it. We do that in the hospital all the time. And so I now allow my body to do what it needs to do when I feel that gas and break around at the same time. So basically that's your nervous system switching on from parasympathetic. I love, I love that metaphor. Yeah. Head. Yeah. Because you because know that feeling, right? You're ramped up, yep. but you're immobilized out of fear or, 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 or freezing. Um, yep. Not similar when it comes to trauma, but I have that with my ADHD. So... Yeah. Um, Recently, uh, my wife and I went to the doctor and, um, and it was forever, took forever. It was just, and it was the worst nightmare for me with my ADHD. I couldn't leave. I couldn't stay. We had nothing to do. We could, I was just, my, my gas and break were trying to like, I was like, I need to run. I need to go, but you have to be careful and be good because you're in a doctor's office and you want to be like a good person in society and not make a scene. So it's all this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We finish with a doctor's appointment. I go out. And I just started dancing and moving and I screamed, like not in anger, yeah. out of release. And yeah. that to me is exactly what it's about. It doesn't yeah. have to be a certain dance move. It doesn't have to be a certain body move. It has to be something that gets out that yeah. feeling. Um, yep. So can you get that from normal dance or does it have to be a special prescribed uh, thought process about what you're doing? Both. So I tell my clients all the time, if you're, you know, put some music on in the kitchen, start dancing with your kids if, if you're freaking out. Um, but the specifics with nonlinear movement is um, that you're unfreezing patterns of trauma as an exercise. So it's like done on your hands and knees so that your core central line is grounded. Your energetics is grounded um, because a lot of times our energy goes up and out of our bodies when we're standing up and we're dancing. And then it's also done with music without words so that your mind, you're, you're really trying to drop into your body mm-hmm. and get out of that prefrontal cortex loop of thinking. So nonlinear movement is very much on hands and knees grounded. I, I mean, you can just do five minutes a day of just allowing your body to move however it wants to move. So I, I leave classes and I've had like clients say, well, that whole session, I was just moving my shoulders so much. And I was like, moving my shoulders. And then later on, they'll go and they'll like, I had a client go to a, a chiropractic appointment after and the chiropractor said, well, you know, you hold grief there. And she was grieving the loss of her father. And so even just things like that, we can find, I mean, for me growing up in, you know, that a fundamentalist church that kind of shut down parts of my body that I felt were bad. I noticed in nonlinear movement, all I want to do is move my hips all the time, just Mm. move my hips. And then I went there. I finally gave my body permission in these sessions to do that. And it felt so freeing and so good. And it unlocked so much of my trauma. And so that's for me what nonlinear movement is, but yeah, movement and breath work. And like, if I'm in the car and I like, you know, almost get hit or something, I will no longer like, you know, when you like jolt and you just kind of freeze for a second, I will breathe it out and I'll just go, you know, like I'll just, I I know I don't want that energy to stay stuck because if we stay immobilized, that's when the trauma gets lodged. I believe in our bodies in the fascia connected tissue from muscle to bone. And 
muscle to or, organs. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can research that more with, you know, holistic doctors that know way more about that than I do, but that's, um, basically how trauma is stuck and stored in our bodies. So that's why movement is so important. Well, I'm a big proponent of dance parties. I dance with my daughter all the time just for fun and also just to move and just to be silly, but also because it's very healing. I'm uh, a big fan of that, those mm-hmm. scenes in Grey's Anatomy where they have that dance party, you know, with, uh, um, but oh. I, I love all your knowledge and content. Where can people find, find more about you, more what you do, reach out to you, connect with you. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you can find me on my website, chrissypowers.com. And I've got a couple courses there. Um, and one goes into more of this movement and releasing trauma. Um, it's called create your calm. Um, I'm also hosting a, um, healing women's embodiment retreat in Costa Rica next year in May. Um, so that's on there. You can also reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at Christy powers therapy, which is my new therapy account I'm trying to launch. Uh, but I'm also on sharing about motherhood and relationships and fun home stuff at Christy J powers on, on Instagram. And that's the best way to get hold of me. Amazing. Christy, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist, and it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics, and really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast, because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.